Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you here. In case you're not aware, this is Brianna Hall, who is leading worship today. She is uh, going to be leading the venue, worship in the venue, beginning next week. So we're very thankful to have her as part of our, our worship staff team. I'd like you to pray with me before we turn to the Word. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in prayer. We believe that you know us. We believe that you hear us. We believe that you love to answer the prayers that we pray in faith. You answer them in your wisdom and in power. Hey God, we acknowledge that the events of this past week in our nation's capital, they stir up all sorts of emotions for us, uh, sadness, anger, fear, perhaps hopelessness, and the violence and the, the lawlessness are very troubling to our hearts, very disturbing, and we're weary of these types of things. But Lord, we pray you teach us to pray during times like these. Teach us to not grow weary of praying, not grow weary of trusting you to work. Empower us by your spirit to be the church, to be a praying church. And so we pray for healing, healing that needs to take place in our country. We pray for peace in Washington. We pray for peace across the United States. We pray for a peaceful transition of power for the Biden administration. And we pray that we as the body of Christ would take seriously our calling and our influence in this world. Father, you tell us that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. And God, we pray that you would give us the grace and give us the will to respond to your discipline in these ways. May we be a people who humble ourselves and pray and seek your face and turn from our wicked ways. We pray that you would give us the grace to do this. God, we have no strength in and of ourselves. We have no ability. We're not powerful. We're not wise. God, we need you to do this work in our land. We want you to hear and forgive and heal. And so, God, may we be fully awake these days. May we be fully attentive to what you are doing, that we might actually be the church you've called us to be. And during times like these, God, we need to delight in your word more than ever before. And so today, as we turn to 1 Corinthians 13, we pray that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, two weeks from today, we're going to begin our next 21 days of prayer and fasting. And if you've not been a part of one of these, this is just a three-week period of time that we set apart to seek God in a very disciplined and focused way. And you'll hear more about it in coming days, but the the point that we're, the, that we're going to be um, seeking God on is our calling as a church, really why we exist as a church. And so we're going to talk about being a church of disciples who actually love God, love each other, and love our neighbors. So it's real simple. We're going to be talking about what we're called to do. And we'll ask you to sign up and we, so you can get the, uh, get the emails. We have daily emails where we will send them out every morning with a devotional and with a um, just with a prayer guide, and so that'll be available beginning Tuesday morning in the uh, in the e-blast. And so in preparation for our 21 days, we're going to take two weeks, and we're going to talk about 1 Corinthians 
13. And so if you would please stand with me as I read this passage. I'll read 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 13. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. Paul says this. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, is not jealous, love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I, I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three. The greatest of these is love. This is God's word. Please be seated. So if you read 1 Corinthians, you will find that the church at Corinth was an absolute mess. They were unhealthy in some profound ways. And so they had factions, they had divisions in the church, and their disunity was on full display whenever they gathered. It was on full display at the Lord's table. It was on display in the way that they used their spiritual gifts. Uh, they had some, there were some in the church anyway that believed that if you had one of a select few spiritual gifts, you were spiritually superior to everybody else in the church. Gifts like tongues seem to be uh, especially the case. And so Paul writes to the Corinthian church, and in, verse, in chapters 12, 13, and 14, he writes to, to correct their misunderstanding and their misuse of the spiritual gifts. And in chapter 12, his main point is that the body of Christ is like a human body. He says, just like the human body has different members, different parts with different functions, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. You don't like it when somebody says he's all thumbs, right? So diverse members with different abilities, that's a good thing. He says, same thing's true in the body of Christ. We have different gifts. We have different uh, strengths. We have different callings. He says, that's good. It's what makes the body of Christ what it ought to be, makes it healthy. At the end of chapter 12, Paul writes this to this, this church, some of whom believe that some gifts made you superior to others. In 1231, he says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you a still more excellent way. And he's going to explain the greater gifts are those that are used in love to build up others in the body of Christ. 
and the more excellent way is the way of love. And that's what he explains in chapter 13. This is what love looks like. This is what it's about. And so he, he, uh, he gives us three foundational truths about love. First of all, the consequences of, un, uh, of lovelessness, the consequences of lovelessness, and then the nature of love and the greatness of love. Today we're going to look at the first and the third of those. Next week we'll come back and talk about the nature of love. But we begin by talking about the consequences of lovelessness. Use that three times in a sentence this week. Lovelessness. It's hard to say. But this is what he says. I was talking to a friend about these verses this week. He said, these verses should make you squirm. Okay? And I would agree. If, if you do not squirm, if these verses don't trouble you, you are not hearing what Paul is saying in these verses. Okay? So this is what he says, for example, verse 1. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, he's talking about the gift of tongues. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And this gift seemed to be the most problematic in their church. And so chapters 12 and chapters 14 talk primarily about tongues, how it should be used and not used, how you should think about it, how you shouldn't think about it. In chapter 14, Paul explains that when I speak in tongue, it's my spirit speaking to God. It bypasses the mind. He says it's spirit to spirit. God is spirit. It's spirit to spirit communication with God that bypasses my mind. He says my mind is idle. Paul says it's a God-given gift. It's profitable. It edifies the person who has that gift. And so it, it's valuable, but it is not a litmus test for whether or not you're really walking with God. And so here he says that if you have these gifts but don't have love, he says you have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He says, in other words, you can have these gifts, which are impressive on one level, but without it, you have become just one more loud, shrill noise in people's ears. Like nobody says, that's my ambition. I want to be a loud, shrill noise. I just want to be one, one more part of this cacophony that's just drowning people out. Said, no, but that's the case if we don't have love. In verse 2, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And I think Paul's still talking about spiritual gifts in this, in this verse. He, he obviously is when he talks about the gift of prophecy. But then he mentions mysteries and knowledge and faith. And these are things that all of us should. We should all know the mysteries of the gospel. They've been revealed. We should all have knowledge. We should all exercise faith. And so those are good things. But I think he's talk, talking about gifts associated with with knowledge and mysteries and faith, because back in chapter 12, he lists these things uh, as spiritual gifts. And we won't take the time to discuss them in detail today, but I want to make just a couple of relevant observations so that we get the point Paul is making. First of all, these gifts deal with truth, and so they're very foundational. Uh, the mysteries of the gospel, uh, prophecy, those are things that we are true, that's, that involves truth we're to understand. Uh, when he talks about um, knowledge, that's truth we're to know. Faith, that's truth we are to believe. 
And so much of 1 Corinthians deals with the importance of understanding and believing what's true. And so these are foundational gifts. Second, Paul repeatedly praises these gifts as God-given and valuable. So he's not implying anything negative about these gifts at all. In chapter 14, for example, he'll say, you should earnestly desire gifts like prophecy, especially over tongues when it comes to public worship, because prophecy is intelligible. People can understand it. Therefore, it builds people up. And so these are, these are God-given, valuable gifts. They're profitable. But, Paul says, if I have these gifts, but I don't have love, he says, I am nothing. And, and not, of course, in an absolute sense, but when it comes to his value in the kingdom of God. He would have no influence in the lives of others, no usefulness to God. And so lovelessness not only nullifies influence, you're just noise, it also nullifies knowledge. In 1 Corinthians 8, 1, he said, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up, okay? And maybe it's it's been this way uh, all along, but it seems to me that in the 21st century in America, we are obsessed, we are obsessed with knowledge and information and being right, okay? And in our culture at large, you are 100% justified at at flaming somebody else, shaming somebody else, insulting other people if you think they are wrong. And I think it's always been that way with, with politics and certain social issues. The sad thing for me is that all too often, this is becoming common in the church, when we talk about spiritual issues and theological issues. And if I understand what Paul is saying here in this verse, he's saying you can go down that road if you want, but if you don't speak the truth in love, then you are nothing. You have no influence. Your value in the kingdom is nullified. And so, again, this should stop us in our tracks because we are people that value knowledge. And so we have, to, we have to, rightly so in a sense, okay? But we have to personalize this. Paul said, if I have the gift of prophecy without love, I am nothing. And so if I, Steve, if I, if I personalize this, I say, if I preach a thousand sermons and I get every single detail of every single point exactly right, perfect nuance, perfect tone, everything, but I don't have love, why bother? It's just a waste. I'm just taking up your time. I'm just cluttering up the air. And so you need to personalize this. I encourage you to do this this week. Fill in the blank for yourself. If I have blank, what is your gift? What is your strength? What are you good at? How does God tend to use you? If I have this, yet without love, I am nothing. You have to internalize that so that you're ready to know what love is, okay? And so... That's what Paul's saying. Verse 3, Paul says that we can, it's possible for a person to make the most extreme sacrifices imaginable and yet without any spiritual benefit uh, or, or um, spiritual eternal benefit. Again, the thing that disqualifies our sacrifices is lovelessness. He says, and if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. 
That first phrase, selling all your possessions and giving to the poor. Does that remind you of anything? Does it remind you of a conversation Jesus had with a man? It's in, it's in uh, Luke 18. There was a rich young ruler that came to Jesus, and he said, uh, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, You've read the Bible. You've read the, 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 the scriptures. Uh, don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't, uh, what else did he mention? He said, don't murder. The man said, yeah, I know those. I've kept all those things since I was a kid. And this is what Jesus told him. He said, one thing you still lack, sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. So he was rich. He had treasure on earth. He's telling him, if you sell it all, give it to the poor, you will also have treasure in heaven. So there will be great profit, great benefit to you. Then he said, and come follow me. Here in verse 3, Paul is saying that it's possible to do exactly what Jesus told the rich young ruler to do and yet have zero profit, zero spiritual benefit and not have treasure in heaven. And that's, a, that's the worst of both worlds, right? Can we agree on that? You don't have treasures on earth and you don't have treasures in heaven. And how is that possible? He says it is possible to do all of that, to make that incredible sacrifice without love. That makes me think, do I even know what love is? I thought sacrifice equals love. Paul says, no. When you get to verses 4 through 7, you'll say, no, that, that, that is not what love is about. And so people sacrifice for all sorts of other reasons besides love. Sometimes we sacrifice because we want to impress other people, or we sacrifice because we want to control other people. If I sacrifice for you, now you owe me, okay? Now I have some leverage in your life. And so Paul says, no, sacrifice does not even equal love. Without, without love, it profits me nothing, no spiritual or eternal benefit. He mentions, if I surrender my body to be burned, he's talking about being willing to die for some cause. And again, a lot of people have died for a lot of different reasons besides love. And again, Paul says, if that's the case, there's no spiritual or eternal benefit. And so let this reality make you squirm. Anybody squirming? Anybody troubled by this, this possibility that you can do these things, all these things, and yet with no personal, eternal benefit? Without love, our lives are devoid of spiritual benefit to ourselves or to anyone else. Now, why is that the case? Why is love so essential? What is it that makes love uh, the thing that will disqualify us or nullify any spiritual benefit that we might have in others' lives or our own. I, th I think there are a number of scriptures we could go to. For me, one of the clearest is 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8. There, John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And he says this, the one who does not love, that's what Paul's been talking about, without love. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. At his essence, God is love. From eternity past, God has lived in a, a loving relationship as three uh, humble, eternal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so if we don't love we don't have the family resemblance. We are not born of God, and so we don't even know God. 
And so that's why it's essential. It's the litmus test. It's the ultimate expression of knowing God. And so without love, we're not showing off the Father's glory. We're just showing off. And there's no benefit to that. No benefit whatsoever. And so I would encourage you to take time to be troubled by your lack of love. Yes, I'm assuming that there, there, there is a lack of love in your life, so, as there is in my life. None of us love perfectly yet. So be troubled by it. Be convicted. Let the Holy Spirit convict you. But by all means, don't stop there. After you're convicted of your sin, preach the gospel to yourself. Uh, take a gospel approach. You don't need a law approach. You don't need to be condemned. You don't know, just need to say, well, I'm, I'm terrible at this, this, this whole love thing. No, understand what the gospel promises you. Understand what the gospel, what God will give you through his spirit. John 1.12, for example, says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And so if you have received Jesus by faith, you are now a child of God. You can bear the family resemblance. You can love other people the way God has loved you. Romans 5.5 says that God has poured out his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit. So again, God has given you the Spirit so that you can experience his love and so that you can show that love to others. And so this is what we're hoping to internalize during our, our 21 days of prayer and fasting, how God through Jesus, has provided everything we need to experience his love and then to show his love to God, to others, and to each other, and to our neighbors. So back to 1 Corinthians 13. We read these first three verses, and, and it should make us think, well, if lovelessness nullifies any influence I have, any gifts I have, any sacrifices I make, if it leaves me without any personal eternal spiritual benefits, then what even is love? I don't want to go through my life thinking, well, I'm a loving person when I'm really not. I might not really get what love is. Well, that's the reaction we're supposed to have. And Paul helps us out in verses 4 through 7. He talks about the nature of love. And this is what we're going to talk about next Sunday morning. I'll simply read these verses today. But notice there's 15 rapid-fire statements about love. Uh, Seven of them are positive. This is what love is. Eight are negative. This is what love isn't. He says love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And we'll talk about this next week, but that's the way God loves us. Therefore, what Paul is urging us is to be godly, to be like God, turn around and love others the way we've been loved. But in our time remaining, let's consider the greatness of love. In verses 8 through 13. In verse 8, Paul loops back to three of the gifts he mentioned in verses 1 and 2. He said, love never fails. It never fails. And then by contrast, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there's knowledge, it will be done away. When he says love never fails, it can be translated love never 
ends. That's the way the ESV translates it. I think that's the sense here. In time and in eternity, love will never be obsolete. It will never be inappropriate. Love will always meet the need of the moment. Love will never fail to do what it is supposed to do. And so love never fails. By contrast, gifts of prophecy, tongues, and knowledge, they will one day cease. They will be done away with because they will be obsolete. Why is that? He tells us in verse, verses 9 and 10. He says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. He's talking about the knowledge that we have in this present life. This should humble us, okay? He said, any knowledge that we have in this life is partial in the sense of being uh, in, in, incomplete. Doesn't mean it's, these gifts are worthless, only that they're not perfect. Verse 10, but when the perfect comes, that's at the return of Christ, the partial will be done away. These partial imperfect gifts will be no more. So spiritual gifts have an expiration date. They will one day be obsolete. They will be unnecessary when we dwell in the very presence of God himself. In verse 11, Paul gives a, a personal example that I suspect almost all of us are old enough to appreciate what Paul says here. This is an example of, of obsolescence. He says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. The child that I know the best these days is my three-year-old grandson. His name is Wyatt. Uh, Wyatt doesn't know what a pronoun is, okay? He doesn't say, I don't want you to do that. He says, Wyatt doesn't want grandpa to do that, okay? I assume when he becomes a man, he won't talk like that anymore, okay? He won't think like that. He won't reason like that. And all of us know what this is like. Uh, hopefully, as you grow up, you put away childish things. You're like, yeah, no, I don't need that anymore. That's the way these gifts are going to be one day. Yeah, we don't need that. We are face-to-face -face with Jesus himself. Verse 12 gives another illustration to, to, to emphasize this, the superiority of our knowledge and experience of God when the perfect comes. And he says this, when the partial is done away with, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face-to-face. For now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. And so mirrors today are very different than they were back then. Today you look in a mirror, you see a lot more than you want to see, right? You see all the details. There's, you don't miss a thing. But in those days, mirrors were uh, basically a polished metal. And so you looked at it, it gave a dim, indistinct reflection of, of, what, of, of yourself. And so... Paul says that uh, our current knowledge of God is like that. And again, this should humble us to the core. Because we, we, have, we have amazing, amazing resources for this knowledge. We have the scriptures. We have spiritual gifts that help each other understand these things. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And yet, Paul says, that knowledge is like looking in a mirror dimly. I used to think, well, if I study the Bible enough, maybe I'll know maybe 75% of knowledge, and then we go to heaven, you'll get the other 25% thrown in. I th the truth about God, the knowledge about God, it is a vast ocean, 
I barely put my toes in the water, okay? I'm not, I, I am not going to make it up to my ankles in this lifetime. I mean, we, it is so partial. It is so imperfect what we understand about God. And why do we brag about our knowledge? Why do we brag about how brilliant we are, how clued in we are, how superior we are to other people? Paul says when the, when the perfect comes, when we see Jesus Christ face to face, yeah, we, we need to think about today in light of that day. We'll know him fully just as we have been fully known by him. Verse 13, but now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. There's two ways to understand this verse. Uh, I have always understood it the first way. I now have a strong bias toward the second way. I've always understood it to Paul, that Paul was saying, but now in this life, we have faith, hope, and love. Now these things are here. But one day, since, since the greatest of these is love, the first two will drop away and we'll only have love. In other words, faith will become sight, hope will become realized, love is all that remains. But I, I don't think that's what he's saying. When he says now, I don't think he's saying now as opposed to later. It's a different word for now than in the previous verse. He's saying, but now, finally, in summary, but now, faith, hope, and love, these three, they're going to abide throughout all eternity for, for even when the perfect comes. We'll always trust in, in, in God. We will always place our hope in him, not in ourselves. But no matter what, the greatest of these, it's greater than gifts, it's greater than virtues like faith and hope. The greatest of these is love for all the reasons that he's just said. And so the greatness of love and the consequences of lovelessness should make us cry out to God, God, open my eyes. Show me what love actually is. God, do this work in my heart. Teach me, train me so that I actually love others the way you've loved me. Let that be the cry of your heart. Cry out to God this week. I hope you, I hope you take some time to look at verses 4 through 7 before next Sunday. And let's trust God, trust God to do a deep, deep thing in our lives. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your, your word. Thank you for cluing us into things that we just do not understand. God, thanks for this challenge to uh, make love this priority, to make it a focus of our, our seeking, a focus of our lives. God, this week we pray that you would make us desperate to understand what love is, desperate to really be people of love. God, we don't want to waste our lives. We don't, we don't want to uh, look back at the end and say, we did a bunch of things, even spiritual things, but you didn't even know us because we didn't know you. And so, God, we ask that you would make us people of love. In Jesus' name, amen.